Greetings, this is Pastor Thomas A. Deloach, and this episode is brought to you by To Empower You, a podcast dedicated to helping young adults and young couples achieve their goals and dreams from a biblical context. From a biblical context. Pastor Thomas A. Deloach. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to the Sage Sayers. I'm your podcast host and a narrative coach and an executive communications coach from New Zealand based in the fine state of Wisconsin. I'm Debbie McCullough. The Sage Sayers looks at gifts, opportunities and knowledge that we can find in life crossroads and challenging situations. And we look also at communications tips and strategies to help you become the most authentic fearless communicator you want to be. My guest this week is Thomas Deloach, pastor and Dr. Thomas Deloach. He's based in North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, and with his wife, Cherise, he, they founded the World of Life Outreach Ministries in February 2003. The World of Life is a nonprofit that reaches out to communi- communities with the Word of God offering practical solutions for everyday problems, managing self-esteem, building marriage relationships, and constructing character. It's Dr. Deloach's commitment and his tenacity and his desire to fulfill God's mandate during these tumultuous, challenging times to help unlock the door to his new assignment from the Lord. And here's how I stumbled across Thomas Deloach, Dr. Deloach. I was based in North Carolina a long time, so I always notice on LinkedIn interesting individuals who are from my former home state. But as I noticed Dr. Deloach's posts on LinkedIn, I also realized we had some crossovers. I'm not a pastor, but I am an advocate of strong, authentic communication. And I noticed as I listened more to what he believed in, there are some really strong crossovers here from which we can all learn so, Dr. Deloach, welcome to the Sage Sayers. Thank you. Good morning. How are you? Really good, thank you. Really, really good. Yeah. So, I I have your bio here, Dr. Deloach, and I I've read up about you and your really interesting life. You've gone full tilt with divinity and even have an honorary do- uh, doctorate degree in divinity. But I wondered what got you started on this path as a senior pastor and a spiritual advisor for 15 years now? Wow. Yeah. Thank you for the question. You know, I would have to start and say it was my mom. I have to go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, My mom took me to church and the rest was history, uh, really. Um, The opportunities that I got, the uh, doors that opened for me and the foundation that I received in my church growing up for about 18 years there, uh, just really gave a lot of uh, confidence and support uh, for what I'm doing today. So I always say I didn't choose it, it chose me. Uh, but my mom really putting me in that incubator earlier earlier in life really was the impetus for what you see me doing today. So I have to thank my mom for that. She was definitely the guiding light who um, saw in me what I could be but may not have known how to get me there. So taking me to church uh, really was a um, strong point in nurturing uh, my gift and my talent. Uh, 
uh, even as a young kid, to uh, really do what I'm doing today. So I got to thank mom for that. Good old mums. They're so good, good at mom. these things. <laughs> yeah, and I wondered, I know we're going off script already and I apologize, but I got curious. Uh, you said being at church and your mum seeing and knew that you might benefit from church was mm-hmm. guiding light to the path you're on today. But I wondered, can you remember a specific challenge as a boy that that guiding light and church helped you with? My mom said to me some time ago, she said I came to her, I think I was about eight or nine years old, and I asked my mom, how do I read the Bible? And I was really shocked that I said that, you know, because as an eight-year-old, you know, I had a normal childhood. I played outside and did everything that kids did, but I was really surprised that I asked her that. And I said, well, what did you do? So she said she took me to the pastor, and uh, he uh, told her some scriptures that I could read. And apparently I did. And so I think the challenges as a kid was just really trying to balance maybe what my mom saw in me with a love for God's word or even reading and then trying to balance that out with just being a normal kid and Mm -hmm. doing what normal kids do. And so she really did a good job with just mixing things up for me just so I could be a balanced person. So I think that would probably be maybe some of the challenges I probably would have faced early on in my life instead of just being locked in my room, reading my Bible all day. (laughs) So um, just being out, being a kid, doing what kids do um, was probably uh, one of the things that kind of kept me balanced. So that's kind of how I would say that happened. Beautiful. And just um, so I can visualize this church and your early upbringing, this was in what part of North Carolina? Oh, no, you were in Ohio, right? What was Canton, Ohio? Canton, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And uh, so as you grew up in Canton, Ohio, with this church life giving you that balance and being that guiding light for you, I wondered what as you became a boy and then a young man, what impacted you in your environment and then what was swirling around you that was impactful to lead you to do the work that you do today? I would have to say just the men in the community. Um, You know, it's funny because where I grew up, the people at church generally was probably your baseball coaches, your football coaches, your soccer coaches, And so it was really a community that really kind of came together back in the 80s when I was growing up. So we were just kind of surrounded by, you know, men back in that time. And obviously, when I look now, it's kind of hard to find men really out there. I'm sure that there are. I know that there are. But when I grew up, they were just like men everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so I was just impacted at an early age just to see in them what I could possibly do. They were not perfect. It didn't come from perfect families or homes, but we had a common centrality of community that mm-hmm. really binded us together. So I would see my track coach or my football or basketball coach at church or another outing in the community. And so it really kind of helped me to kind of build my self-esteem and confidence. And so, and then too, if I was in the, you know, in the community and I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, you know, hey, I would get pulled to the side and, and you know, say, hey, you got to, there's a better way you can go, a better way you can do things. And so I think that was really kind of the thing that I saw that 
I saw what I could be in someone else. And though, the, again, they were not perfect, what it what it helped me to be was the more understanding. I think when people make a mistake and they mess up because people are human, but we're all moving towards the same goal. And that is trying to support one another. You know, it's really moving, to be honest, just listening to this today, Dr. Deloach, don't mm-hmm. you think, in these times? Yeah, especially, yes. Like, I, you know, I'm getting a little emotional because I'm just thinking what a year it's been, you know? Yeah. What a year it has yeah. been. And yeah. as my boys wrap up, we're in the, you know, we're in Wisconsin, so the school year's wrapping up. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, wow, how did we get through you know, how did we just get through what we've done? Yeah. And and it ties to community. It does. It really does. And I, I think more than anything, you know, when people look at the people that have died and the people who family members where you couldn't even go to a proper funeral or burial or you couldn't even go to the hospital and just say your last goodbyes. I think it puts life in perspective. Life is mm-hmm. so fragile. You can literally be here today and gone tomorrow. And so I think it has helped the world as a whole to just look at what's important. If you can wake up with life, health, and strength, you can look at your spouse and your kids and your family and really love them and say, hey, we're not perfect. We got some hurdles that we need to climb, but we're going to stick together. We're going to support one another. We're going to love one another because now family is like, all we have. It it was all we had before, but you can look at it now and say, this is what's important. And I think that's the key now trying to come out of this pandemic is that we don't forget family. We don't forget community because as a pastor, I'm seeing so many people who are questioning what's going on in the world. And I try to balance them out and say, we always look at what you have left. Whatever you have left, you can build, you can rebuild, you can go in another direction. But it's that family, it's that community that really ties us, that binds us together. And that's the thing that I really think is important, that we really need to come out of the pandemic, moving into whatever the world is going to be. But we don't let anything ruin our family and community base, because I know for me, That's why I'm here today. Somebody saw something in me. Somebody was willing to give their time, their resources, and even their money to help me to be what I am today. And and that's what I think is so special about community when we can really see it the right way. And and that's how uh, I like to move forward in my own life. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful the way you share that, Dr. Deloach. And the other thing I noticed in your examples of those male mentors, and this is a really great thing because we're approaching Father's Day, sure. and part, of, part of community and a, and a binding um, supportive community for me is that lack of judgment. Yeah. And the tonality of the, it, when we're talking about kids and young men like my sons, yeah. tonality as you re-guide, like you don't chastise and say, you stupid whatever what are you doing you say I can't remember your exact words but it was something almost coaching like like yes what is this the I can't remember the exact words but it sounded very gentle non-chastising 
of the decisions made, but re-guiding and resetting. Right. That is so key. I was reading something the other day and it really shocked me. Uh, The report was saying by the time a child is 13 years old, he has heard the words, I can't, 70,000 times to every one time he's heard, I can. And I'm like, wow. And as you know, when you're growing up as kids, you know, your parents say, I can't do, you can't do this. Can I go to my friend's house? No, you can't. Can I do this? No, I no, you can't. But what we need to do is tell them what they can do. So it's just like, you know, if you're going to say I can't follow it up and say what they can do. I think it's so important that we hear that word. I can. Because when you can hear that word, it really builds your self-esteem and it lets you know that at least your parents or a school teacher or whoever is believing in something that they see that you can do and point it out to redirect them with no judgment, love, concern and say, hey, this is what you can do. This is what I see in you. This is what I see you doing. And that's what I heard. Uh, Obviously, sure, I I heard judgment growing up in my life. I heard things probably that I shouldn't have heard. But at the end of the day, because my mom was a school teacher, I feel like I had the cliff notes. Um, You know, I feel like I had kind of the playbook, the blueprint on how to kind of do certain things. And now that I look back over my life, I don't really realize how fortunate I was back then. So I try to share that with my son and other young people and just let them know, yeah, there's some things you shouldn't do, but let's focus on what you can do. Yes. Let's put all of your energy and attention that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I wondered when, so now you're working as a senior pastor and a spiritual advisor in North Carolina through your ministries, your World of Life Outreach Ministries. When working with these young adults and these young men, what's making you the proudest? And then what challenges, what recurring challenges as you serve these youth and young adults are you seeing among this group? What really makes me the proudest is when I can see them come in with no hope for the future, no destiny. Uh, How do we get there? How do we do this? I grew up in a family, no father, maybe no mother, really no support system. And we bring them inside of this ministry, our church, and really build and give them the tools just to live better. Because when I read God's word, I see tools to live better. And everybody didn't grow up in the family that I grew up in or didn't have maybe the people to support them. But we say, hey, we're your family. And in family, we may disagree. We may not see things the way that you do. But I want to at least show you what I see about you. And if you're willing to stick and stay and go through what you have to go through, you can get to the other side. And then I can see three months, six months, one year, three years, five years. I can look at them and say, man, I remember when I saw you come into our ministry, your head was held low, didn't have any confidence. You, you know, you didn't know how to look people in the face. You know, you didn't really know how to manage your money. You couldn't manage your own life or your marriage. You, you know, you were strained from your kids. And now we can like see these little miracles happening in their life. And that's what makes me the proudest the most, that our ministry helped them. You know, we don't take credit for what people become, 
but we like to be the hands that can hold them through that time to build them and help them to really say, you know, I came in this way, but wow, look at my life right now. So that's the thing that I'm most proudest about. The challenges would be working with them when they want to quit, like helping them to stay with the process when they're like coming to a fork in the road and they just want to throw in the towel. That can be challenging because you can't make anybody do something that they don't want to do. And many times you can't help them to see something that they may have a blind spot for. So we got to be very encouraging. You know, we got to be very straightforward. But we have to say to them, you know, this is look at where you were when you came in. Look at where you are now. You're making strides. Don't give up. Stay in it. And if you do, you'll really be able to have the life that you really want. But those are kind of the challenges that we kind of face uh, when trying to help people. And would you say those challenges, especially the the ones who want to give up, would you say you've seen those challenges intensify from the last 18 months through the, the world pandemic? Yes, yes, because the questions now are why, why? Why would a loving God allow this to happen? I can't tell you how many questions that I've had and they all center around why. Why is this happening? Why is that happening? You know, why would God permit this? And I have to continue to help people understand is that as much as there is good in the world, there's evil in the world, too. And there are people who just get up in the morning to make other people's lives miserable. There are people who get up in the morning and they want to make people's lives great. And there are choices that people are making in a in a world or in a community that causes things to happen. Now, I don't believe God caused the uh, pandemic, but I do believe he's using it to get people's attention. And so, you know, we have to really just have our ears pinned back, our hearts open to really take in what's going on, because maybe the world was just out of center. Maybe we, we were just not focused on the right thing. And this is helping us to get back to where we need to get to. And there's a lot of people that have just walked away. They just walked away from God. They've walked away from their families. They've walked away from so many things. So I don't take it personal when that happens. I just use it as a moment to help them to see uh, that there is a way that you can see it differently. You know, they say, per, uh, I think they say perspective uh, is a, a reality or someone's perception is their reality. And that's true. And so if I can help you change your perception, maybe you can see things a little bit different. But that's kind of, in my opinion, what's going on today in terms of the things that I've experienced right now. Yeah. And it's so delightful listening to how you're interacting with these youth. And I and part I can't help but be notice as a coach and as a reporter, this real curiosity around the techniques that you're describing that you bring into your ministry really sound like coaching techniques. So for example, I, I can just give you a couple of quick examples. So you mentioned, for instance, when you're celebrating how your youth have succeeded. You comment on their body language, the shifts in their body language. And then, you know, like when you came in, your head was low and now look at you, your shoulders are back and your head is high. And then this empathy piece and this non-judgment piece 
this is all active listening, what we call in the coaching world, active listening. So I wondered, how did you learn these skills? Was it part of your divinity training or was it, are you applying, is that just who you are? Like, how did you develop these rich, active listening skills? I think some of it is part of who I am. I think the other part is just my educational background and then what I chose to read and how I wanted to get better. Like, for example, you mentioned about the listening. Mm-hmm. And just yesterday I was reading something, uh, a book that I'm reading now, and there's a part of it that talks about there's two types of listeners. One person who listens to just give a response and then the other person that listens to understand. And most of the time we listen just to give a response. We're already formulating what we want to say. And many times we're not listening to understand. So I try now in my life as I'm getting older to really listen to understand instead of like trying to be the smartest person in the room, trying to give an answer to everything. Because sometimes, you know, Debbie, there's no answer for it right then. But if I can listen to them, no judgment, empathy, concern, that a lot of times people just want to be heard. Listen to me. Just don't say nothing. Just listen to me. And so it's like even I've been married 27 years and I am still learning this with my wife (laughs) because I think as men, we (laughs) want to fix it as soon as we hear an issue. Yes. So I ask my wife this now. I say, honey, do you want me to fix it or do you want me to listen? Because it just helps me to know what I need to do right from the beginning. And so she'll say, honey, I just want you to listen. So I'm cool now. (laughs) That is so classic because that is exactly what I'm going to introduce this idea to my husband because (laughs) I think, you know, good husbands want to help their wives. You're right. And good moms want to help their kids. I mean, right. it's something we could ask our kids too. Honey, right. do you want me to listen or do you want me to help fix this? Right. A very right. powerful question. Well, right. and, and again, that's a crossover to coaching because, you know, you set up your coaching session and as you establish the topic, the client wants to um, get curious about, you ask, how can I best serve you as your coach today? And that's, and that's an ICF kind of a, a encouraged and approved question because it helps you narrow yes. uh, what, what your purpose is. And then as a coach, you get more comfortable working in that space of not knowing because mm-hmm. you've already asked. Um, the other thing that I notice is when you're um, describing how you serve others, it sounds like this um, – it's completely self, like you're not worried about you at all. You are just 100% focused on those you serve. But And then the additional crossover is you're really holding these youths up as competent, capable, and resourceful. Mm-hmm. Yes. What comes absolutely. to you with that noticing? Yes, it is true. Because I think many times, you know, when we look at young people, and, and I've had to redefine youth now, <laughs> Because, you know, I, you know, I've talked to 60s and 70 year olds and they say I'm young, too. And so, you know, it's a mindset. It's a mentality. So but a lot of the people that I talk to or train or coach, they're in their 20s and then some are in their early 30s. And then when I was in college and did a little stint working with teenagers, whether it's summer camp and, and um, other mentoring sessions that I've done over the years, you know, they're considered youth. But now it's kind of a broader scope. 
And so being able to, like you said, ask them, how can I serve you? How can I help you? Really helps you to now be able to be intentional about what they need and then be selfless uh, to help them to get where they're going. And sometimes, you know, it takes, you know, three or four sessions, maybe longer to really get out of them what they really want. Because one of the things I'm finding out, people have no idea, Debbie, what they want. Mm -hmm. Like if you ask somebody, what do you want? You know, I get a lot of blank stares. It gets quiet and because I don't think we're really empowered to for someone to ask us. It's, it's almost like you give your time and everything. And then somebody asks you, well, what do you want? And then I don't really know what I want. And so until you're able to make that decision, you just can't get what you want. <laughs> you can't even get what you need. So being able to do that is like a, a watershed moment. Is like, okay, it's, it's okay, let's now focus on what you want and then see how we can put a plan and a strategy to get you there uh, without you losing who you are along the way. So beautiful. And you mentioned those watershed moments by asking that simple, powerful question. Probably you could count the words on one hand. What do you want? Four words. Uh, what? What kind of responses have you seen? You mentioned blank stares, but have you, you know, sometimes I experience emotions from asking a question that's Mm -hmm. just so open but so targeted at the same time, and it's so contemplative. What kind of responses have you seen beyond the blank stares? A lot of times it's just one-word answers. I want to be happy. Mm -hmm. I want to be rich. I want to put my family back together. And I always tell them that, Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. And you should. But hope is not a strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Happiness is not a strategy. And so we've got to now like get out a sheet of paper and I want you to get in a quiet place and I want you to write down at least five things that you want, not what other people want, not what your spouse wants for you, your kids want for you, your family wants for you. What do you want? And write it down. Because a lot of times they can't tell me then. I'm like, that's fine. But I want you to, when you get home or when you get time, write it down and think about it. Take time. Be aware in in this consciousness. Be aware and tell me. Because really, you're right. I tell people when when they're writing something down, you're really writing a letter to yourself. Yes. And when you write it down, it'll resonate. You'll feel it. You'll know it. And that's the part that I think that's missing maybe in coaching mm-hmm. is that getting people to write it down, getting people to think about it really helps to build that enthusiasm now. And sometimes yeah. it connects you back to a dream you had as a kid. It connects you back to a point in your life that you felt powerful. And that's the thing that I think where the magic begins when you're helping people that it you can really see them perk up. And then we meet again. Hey, what do you want? And boy, that list now is not just five. It's 10, it's 20 things. And so it helps me to know that they really took it serious and they're really thinking about what they want in life. So beautiful, Dr. Deloach. And we're getting close to the end of the interview. And I wondered... 
could we pivot slightly to your excellent public speaking skills? And I read from your bio that you're accustomed to being on stage and was in front of a large audience. If you could offer my listeners who struggle with glossophobia, it impacts around 73 or 74% of Americans and many fear public speaking more than they fear death or a shark attack. Kind of a startling data point. Wow, yeah. <laughs> and I know I know practice as a as a communications coach that one of the best ways to work through that fear is to practice, practice, practice. And obviously you've had that. But I wondered if there was anything additional you might offer my listeners on how to stay not just calm and focused as you present to a large or high stakes audience, but also and um you know, speaking from the heart, what is, what what are your best tips you can offer? Thank you. One of the things that I do in my own life is one word. It's visualization. I like to visualize before I'm invited to a meeting, before I'm invited to speak outside of my church or even when I'm ministering in my church or whatever gathering, whether it's 10 people, 50, 100, 1,000, it doesn't matter. The day before or days before, I meditate, I close my eyes, and I visualize myself on stage talking, how I would walk across the stage, how I would grab hold the mic, uh, how I would look at people confidently. Everything in that moment, Debbie, is powerful for me because I'm creating at that moment what I want the outcome to be. And so I get into it. And I feel it, I see it, I do it. And it's it's amazing that every time, almost at least, when I'm standing before people, it turns out what I envisioned it to be. Now, I think visual, visualization is key because I didn't learn it in grade school. I didn't learn it in high school. I didn't even learn it in college. Um, it's just the people that introduced me to it in terms of meditating and seeing would I want to be on stage? And so in my opinion, I don't think there's any person that grows up uh, or any person that comes out of their mother's womb and they, they're just going to be a great public speaker. You said it. you got to practice the practicing. And so that's one of the things I just want to offer your listeners. Just find a quiet place and see yourself in that moment being confident on stage, talking, getting your words out calming yourself down, making eye contact with the people. Um, Obviously, prior to the pandemic, maybe giving them a high five. I mean, being yourself, Mm -hmm. because really when you're offering any kind of coaching or talking to people, people can tell when you're a fraud. They can tell Mm -hmm. when you're not real. They can tell when it's rehearsed. They know it. They're not even professionals, but what comes from the heart reaches the heart. So Mm -hmm. I like to give people me who I am, what I do. And so when you can just work through those nuances, but that visualization piece is a really key thing for me. And I think it would really help your listeners too, to become a more confident speaker. Yeah. And I I love that visualization piece because I wonder what's happening for you in that moment is you're able to call the bluff of your inner judge's lies. Mm-hmm. Because what usually, I have a theory that, you know, the National Institute of Health that gives us that data point I mentioned earlier says the biggest cause for that fear is judgment, mm-hmm. fear of judgment mm-hmm. and fear of losing their job. But mm-hmm. I have a theory that because I'm a certified positive intelligence coach, that it's our own inner judge 
that messes with us more than anything. Oh, yes. And if you let that inner judge run loose, you can trick yourself. It can trick you into believing all kinds of terrible things are going to happen. But that visualization technique you mentioned is countering that fear and countering those judgmental lies. What's there for you with that? Yeah, that is so true. I agree with that a thousand percent. We're so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. We, we, you know, we think we're imposters. I'm sure you may have gone through that. Mm-hmm. I know that I did. Because it's like, will anybody listen to me? What do I have to say? Mm-hmm. You can have all the degrees behind your name. But the reality is, if you don't believe in you, if right. you don't believe you're worth it, if you don't believe you have something to share, then it's just going to show up every time that you have to stand in front of people. And so I just really take time to just build myself up. You know, it's like, again, practicing the practicing. So if I'm going to encourage someone else, I got to encourage myself too. So the medicine that I'm giving out, I need to take it. So I'm just, you know, again, I'm spending time encouraging myself and say, hey, you can do it. You're good enough. They're going to love you. You know, you have to do that. And I think when you visualize it and you see, and the key is you have to see yourself now, not pushing it off in the future. And that's what gets you in the moment. And our bodies are so well put together. It's like muscle memory. You remember what you practice. And so when you get on that field of play or coaching or you got to do a conference in front of people that don't know you because you've done it before in your own imagination, in your own world, there's no judgment there. There's love there. There's peace. There's positivity. And you'll be surprised how you'll get that back from the audience because you gave it to yourself first. Oh, beautiful advice, Dr. Deloach. Thank you. Appreciate it. It has been such a pleasure having you on the Sage Sayers today. As we close our time together, I wondered if you wanted to let my audience know how they can find you. Yes, absolutely. There's two websites. My church website is wordoflifeom.com. That's my church's website. And then my personal website is thomasadeloach.com. And I have a podcast there and people can subscribe to it. Uh, There's a way to email me at info at thomasadeloach.com. And so if anyone wants to catch up with me and find out what I'm doing or maybe how I can help them, I'm there to serve. I'm there to be some kind of inspiration and and hope for someone who, who just needs to kind of get back to where they used to be or move further in their life. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to The Sage Sayers and I'm your show host, Debbie Gardner McCullough or DG McCullough. You can find me on LinkedIn under DG McCullough. And if you want to visit my website and learn about my coaching and training services and my new workshops, including an active listening workshop and a how to ask powerful questions workshop rolling out this month, you can visit my website at hangingrockcoaching.com. And in the show notes, I'll offer all the links to that information too. Take good care. Thanks for being with us today. And I'll speak with you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to my show to empower you. If you were blessed, inspired, and encouraged, please send me a praise report, prayer requests, or show ideas to info at thomasadeloach.com. And follow me on Instagram 
at Thomas A. Deloach and Facebook at Dr. Thomas A. Deloach. And remember, you can go to my website anytime at www.thomasadeloach.com. Until next time, be empowered.